Well, it's good to see all of you. And if you're a guest, I'm David, and I'm the pastor, and we're so glad you're here. And part of the things we've got going on, this is the start of summer. Man, our summer's crazy here. Uh, in about an hour and 15 or 20 minutes, our youth heading off to youth camp. They do the church and Bible study before that, and then they're going. And then they pray for them this week. That's going to be fantastic, uh, the things that they're doing. Uh, we're, we're here, and uh, we're going to start a new series that starts today. It goes to the end of July. If you, if you go and start reading the Bible, uh, Old New Testament doesn't matter. One of the things you realize is the Bible deals all the times with things beginning. Things beginning, things are new, things are renewed. I mean, you start the Bible off, it's in the beginning, right? And the book of Genesis means beginnings. Mark 1, 1, he says, it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. You know, the word was God. Colossians 1, 18 says, Jesus, you know, he, the, the, the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. Revelation 21, 6 the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I mean, it's a book about beginning. I mean, it's all through there. And there is another beginning that, that happens in the New Testament. And it's kind of subtle. It's important. Doesn't use the word beginning. Doesn't say much about it. But something begins. And what begins is a movement of the followers of Jesus to share Jesus. It's the beginning of the Christian era, the beginning of the Christian movement, the beginning if you will, of the church. And so for the next two months, we're going to be in the first two chapters of Acts because Acts is where this begins. Now, I will tell you this, that starting in September on Wednesday nights, I will pick up where I left off in the July. On Sundays, I'll pick up on Wednesdays, and we'll do our Wednesday night Bible studies uh, for, you know, through next May through Acts 3 through 15. But for these next two, two months, we're going to be in these first two chapters. And the series is entitled, It Begins. And really, that's the name of this sermon. In fact, I didn't put any sermon titles to any of my sermons this time because they're all the same. It begins. Because it's what it's about. And we're going to start off in these first five verses. And here's what I want you to see from this message. But really, here's what I want you to see from this entire series. It is this. That no story matters more than the story of Jesus. You need to understand that in your life. You need to understand that from the book of Acts, that no story matters more than the story of Jesus. I'm going to take this message today and break it up into three parts. And the first part that I want you to see is this, that Acts is the story of the message of the resurrected Jesus. Understand, the book of Acts, that story is about a message that concerns the resurrected Jesus Christ what it is. So, first one begins this way. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So the author begins by saying there's a first account, which means there's another book out there that goes with this book. And he, and, and he writes this to a guy named Theophilus. That's a common name. It means the one who loves God, the one who cares for God. Some think that it's kind of a general name written to all believers or Christians, but reality is it's probably one person. And most likely what you have here is a Gentile who became a believer. And he helped bankroll the writing of the book because it was expensive back then to write things. And if you didn't have money, someone had to bankroll it. So he probably did it. The author is kind of dedicating it to him, but he's writing it for everybody. And he talks about a first account about Jesus, things that Jesus did, things that Jesus taught. And so that kind of begs the question, is there a first book? Do we have it? And we do. 
We have it as one of the Gospels that we call Luke. If you go over to the first part of Luke, and I'm doing a really rough general paraphrase here, it, be, it begins kind of saying that, that many have undertaken to write about Jesus, but I've researched and I've done, you know, I've done some investigating. And so Theophilus, you mentioned Theophilus, I'm writing an account of Jesus' life for you. So you see that connection. Now that gospel is attributed to a guy named Luke, which means this book is also attributed to Luke. And, and there's really little dispute about that. I mean, not many people disagree. Whether you come from any spectrum of the Christian faith, whether it's, it's, it's more conservative or even you know, more liberal. When I use the word liberal in terms of Christianity, it's nothing to do with politics or social stuff. It's a different connotation. Uh, but they all tend to agree. Now, how do we know? Luke doesn't name himself. No one, no, one, no one named Luke claims this. But we know that the guy who wrote these two books was the guy who dealt with details. He was organized, did a lot of research, looked for evidence in his life. And we also know that this person hung with Paul. The book of Acts, there are portions that says, we this, we that. So they were a companion of Paul because it's with Paul. And so you got to look, is there somebody in Paul's life that we know of that was that kind of person? And yeah, there's this guy named Luke. Over in Colossians, he, Paul refers to the beloved physician, Luke. And a physician back then, he was a doctor, but much more than that. It was, this is was a person who dealt with evidence and facts. And so it began to be understood that Luke wrote this. In fact, the really what we, reason we attribute it to Luke it's because all the church fathers did. I mean, the, the early guys all said Luke wrote these two books. And so it's pretty much assumed by everyone. There's no disputing that Luke wrote these. And in writing it, understand he was this Gentile guy. And, and, and he's a Gentile, a physician. He hung with Paul. And you begin to wonder, when did he write it? And so Luke gives accounts of things. And one of the things Luke talks about is that sometimes some of the Christians died. He talks about James, the disciple dying. He talks about uh, Stephen dying. We know from other sources that Nero killed Peter and Paul. Before Nero died in 68 AD, he killed Peter and Paul, probably at least by 66, no later than 67. Now, it makes sense that if Luke was going to write about the early church, and he focuses so much on Peter and Paul, and he was a close companion of Paul, and these are pivotal, iconic figures, that if they were killed, he would have mentioned it. Now, that's an argument from silence, but it's a pretty strong argument. And since Luke just kind of ends abruptly with Paul in prison, the first imprisonment, kind of around 61, 62 AD, some, and I'm one of them, think that he wrote it right about then. That the majority opinion is that he wrote it in, 60, in the 60s, probably before the death of Peter and Paul, probably around 62 AD. And I tell you this because that matters about things that occur. And he wrote it, and what was he writing about? Well, his first account was about Jesus. He wrote the Gospel of Luke to tell us about Jesus. But the book of Acts, he also tells us about Jesus. Now, here's the thing, though, in the book of Acts, it doesn't ever say the name, the title, Acts. And so we got to see, how are we getting that title? Well, because of the things that occur, he's writing about the Acts, the works of the apostles. And so most of your Bibles probably has, as a title, the Acts of the Apostles. Now, some of you may have a Bible that's super spiritual. Some of you may be super spiritual. I've heard, you know, these super hyper spiritual pastors say, well, it's not really the books of the apostles. It's really the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And I got you. You can do that, but it's the Holy Spirit working through people. And so here's what I would share with you. Uh, there, was a, there was a guy who wrote, uh, a pastor, a scholar, a brilliant one named John R. W. Stott. I've mentioned him before. He had a huge influence on my generation. Died in 2011 at the age of 90. 
And, you know, anytime he writes a commentary, you know, any book, you, you got, you know, my generation of pastors, you go get his book, get his commentary. And his commentary on Acts, he actually steals kind of a title, but he kind of gives this title to Acts. John Stott says this, and he stole it from someone else, I forget who. The continuing words and deeds of Jesus by his spirit through the apostles. The continuing words and deeds of Jesus by his spirit through the apostles. So that's kind of what Acts is really about. It's just a continuation of something. Luke starts off saying, I wrote my first book about things Jesus did, things he taught. He's going to continue that in this book. And so I would suggest to you that in Acts, you have the story in Acts, continues the story of Jesus. It's just a continuation of a story that's found in Luke, the previous book. And it focuses on events after the ascension of Jesus. Jesus ascends, and that's where it picks up. Now, the book of Luke ends, Luke chapter 24, and verse 51, there's 51 to 253, verse 51, Jesus ascends, they all go back to Jerusalem, they stay in Jerusalem. And the early part of Acts overlaps Luke chapter 24. And in verse 11, you have the ascension of Jesus. I'm not going to talk about it in this series. In September, I'm preaching about the second coming of Christ. In the first message is about the ascension. So I'm going to cover that when I do that whole different series with a whole different focus. But that's what Luke says. That's, that's kind of what it's about. And he focuses primarily on these two guys, Peter and Paul, on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And when you read the book of Acts, it covers a ton of time. It covers 30 years, basically. And it just isn't just 28 chapters. Now, I know what you're thinking. 28 chapters is a lot, and it is. If you, if some of you, like some people read the Bible like one paragraph at a time, it'll take you five years to read Acts, you know. Some of you read it one chapter at a time. It'll take you 28 days. It'll take you a whole month because I know what you do in your Bible reading. You do what I do. You don't feel the need to read the Bible on Sunday because you go to church, right? You know, <laughs> my Bible. My Bible study reading does not include on Sunday because, after all, I'm the preacher. I am sharing scripture. I'm doing so much more than just reading it. I'm telling you what it says. So I get a pass on Sunday. Usually on Saturday. And sometimes a couple of days a week for some of you. Just get a pass, you know. But, but you can sit down and read this beautiful book. And Luke and Acts take about, up about 25, a little over 25% of all the New Testament. What he writes it's important. And it's these huge stories. But he jumps from story to story. He's covering all this time. And so here's what I want you to know also, that Acts is the book of movement and transition. It moves and transitions, moves and transitions. The end of chapter 2 is a transition. It's a summation that transitions. In the chapter 4, there's a summation that transitions. It goes through all of that. All of this is to tell you about the continuing story of Jesus that focuses on the message of the resurrected Jesus. Verse 2, he says this. I, told, I wrote about all that. Jesus did, until the day he was taken up into heaven, until he ascended. After he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. So he ascended after he told the apostles, the, the main 11 guys. There will be more apostles later. Paul's an, an apostle. James, the brother of Jesus, would be considered an apostle. Probably Barnabas, Jude, the brother of Jesus. But to those 11, he gave instructions. You see that at the end of chapter 24. Okay? Verse 3, to these then. He also presented himself alive after his suffering. The suffering was the crucifixion. After he suffered, he presented himself alive. He was resurrected. So the resurrection matters by many convincing proofs. And so as they saw Jesus, the scene of Jesus and the things that Jesus did after he resurrected was the proof that he was alive. Chapter 24 of Luke covers that. He says he's appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And during that time, he was speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. He spoke about God's kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God 
is the time we live in now. Next week, we're going to see them ask about the kingdom of God. We live in the kingdom of God now. How do we know that? Jesus said so. Mark 1, 15. Jesus says, he walks in, begins his ministry. He just says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. In the Beatitudes, in Matthew chapter 5, he talks in the Sermon on the Mount on 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. He talks about what it means to be his follower. He begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom right now. We live in that kingdom. And he began to teach and talk to them about all of that. And Luke says, I wrote to you, Theophilus, about what Jesus did. What he taught up until the resurrection. And now, Theophilus, I'm going to continue writing about what those apostles did with that message of who Jesus is and what he did. And it's an amazing story. And what's interesting and fascinating is that in the 1800s, a group of scholars out of Germany began to question the things that Luke wrote. I, you know, I'm, so I can say this because I'm part German. I'm about uh, 25 to 30% German. You think being part German, I would know exactly how much German I am, 32.72%. But <laughs> all I can tell you is, once again, us Germans, everything bad that happens in the last 200 years starts in Germany. You know, World War I, World War II, and the questioning of so much of the New Testament and Old Testament. They questioned whether Luke wrote it because they said, you know, we, just, we don't find the evidence to support all the things he wrote, like what we can find matters. At the end of the 1800s, there was this guy named William Ramsey. He was, he was English. And I'm part English, so the English part you know, comes out. He was an anthropologist. He was an archaeologist. And he was digging around that part of the world at the end of the 1800s. And he was amazed because he kept discovering all these things, not that proved, but that supported all the things that Luke said. And as other scholars have come along in the 1900s and on and on, one of the things that's emerged is that Luke, he was right about everything. Anything that you found connected with Luke, Luke was right. They haven't found everything to support everything he said. They have found so much. In fact, they've never found anything that questioned anything that Luke ever wrote. There's no evidence to ever suggest Luke was wrong about anything. So that today, historians and others consider Luke to be one of the greatest new first century scholars you could ever find. I tell you this because you need to have confidence that when you read the book of Acts, it's true. That what Luke says happened. And you need to understand that just like his gospel. Acts is a story of a message about a resurrected Jesus. But there's something else you need to see. The second thing I want you to see today is this, that Acts is the story of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because it also focuses on what the Holy Spirit did through people. And it's amazing. Verse 4. Gathering them together. The New International Version says they were eating together. That's kind of what the word gather implies. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. You see that in Acts 24, or in Luke 24 also. But to wait for what the Father had promised, which you said you heard from me. You heard of from me. I said, I'm promising. The Father promises something. I told you that. You can read all about the promise of the Holy Spirit, especially in John 14, 15, and 16. For John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in not many days tonight. It says the Holy Spirit's coming. It's coming. And after he ascended, the Holy Spirit would come in 10 days. We'll see that starting in two weeks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. But he said, I want you to know something. 
You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, just like John baptized with water. Now, this is interesting. Luke takes the words of Jesus. Jesus goes back to John. John the baptizer, the Baptist. Now, Luke, in all his research, in all, his, all that he did, at some point, he must have sat down with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Because the first two chapters of Luke, he writes things that we don't have anywhere else. He writes about Mary's story, the song that Mary sang, about you know, how the angel came to her. He wrote about that. Where would he get that? Probably from Mary or a close family member. But not only that, he went past Mary. He went back to her cousin Elizabeth and how she got pregnant, which was a supernatural story. And John, and he tells us all this. All four Gospels tell about John. So Luke is really aware of all the work of John the Baptist. And so it's important here, he quotes Jesus as referencing John. John baptized with water. In, John, in John's ministry, a ministry of repentance, he baptized. He said, now the Holy Spirit's going to baptize you. John even said that. He said, I baptize you with water, but someone's coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, that time's coming. Now, the word baptize is important. We normally think of it as baptism of, you know, of, the, of the ordinance that we do. The word to baptize is a very violent word. It means to sink or to dunk under. Now, you take it outside the spiritual realm of the church. Let me put it to you this way from a Greek perspective. If you were, if you were in a river, you ever seen a, a battle where two people end up in a river or a lake or somewhere, and they're battling, they're fighting life and death, and one of them ends up drowning the other one, you know? And some of you probably have even thought about how cool that would be with certain people. You might want to do that too. I don't know. In the Greek, we would say they baptized him. <laughs> now, I can tell you that I have on occasion baptized some people that I'm glad to see them come to Christ, but I wouldn't mind holding them. So that's what that word means. It's a word to, to dunk under. Now, we take it today, and you'll hear people say, well, it means sprinkling also. It doesn't mean that. It never means that in the New Testament. It never, never, never means that. The etymology of the word never means that. How do we get that? Some of you were baptized as infants. A lot of you were. It's simple. It's not complicated. At some point in the church's history, especially in Catholicism, they began to be, believe that baptism saved you, that you had to be baptized to be saved. If you were not baptized, you were not saved. So you have an infant, a baby. What do you need to do? You need to baptize that baby. You're not going to take a baby and dunk it. Or him or her. But you can sprinkle it. Isn't that crazy? That I can put some water on you and you're saved? If I don't get water on your head, you're not saved. But if I get it on you, you're saved. And that's how it came about. So when the Reformation came and Protestants broke away, and you can do all the theology you want. I'm just telling you the history of it. You know? The history, history is the facts, man. If you do the facts right, they don't lie. The people didn't like the idea of their babies not being baptized, so they began to christening, sprinkling them. And so now you can go talk to our, some of our Protestant friends, and they'll give you two, three-hour explanations of how all that works. The problem is if it takes you two or three hours to explain something, it probably ain't right because I can explain this in five minutes. The word baptize means to go all the way under. And here's why that's important. Because we're not sprinkled with the Holy Spirit. You go to Acts chapter 2. We'll be there in a couple of, I mean, uh, yeah, when the Holy Spirit comes to Acts chapter 2, we'll be there in two and three weeks. Three, yeah. The Holy Spirit didn't sprinkle the believers. He didn't come upon them and say, here I am, sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle. He poured himself. They were immersed with the Holy Spirit and the power. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the Holy Spirit's going to come. You'll be immersed with it. And the book of Acts tells a story of the Holy Spirit. 
working in their lives. And so he works through all these people. He works through all these, and, and you look, and there's all these people come into play. You know, you, you, you see, yeah, you see Peter and Paul, but you see Philip the evangelist, Stephen who dies, James the brother of John dies, John is in it, James the brother of Jesus plays a role. There's lots of important roles being played, but primarily you need to understand this about Acts. And there are some who disagree with this, but I just feel strongly about this, and I'm going to share it with you. That Acts is primarily a movement between Peter and Paul. Are all these other people important? Yes. You can't tell the story of the early church without James, the brother of Jesus, without Barnabas. You can't tell the story without them. But it centers around the movement of Peter and Paul. And that's, that's, it's a story where these two guys take prominence in what happens. So let me share this with you. It's kind of a, a, a long, kind of drawn-out thing to explain. But let me explain it to you this way. The book of Acts is a story of the spreading of the gospel of Jesus and then the American spiritual growth of his followers. That's the church. That's what it's about. It tells a story of how the gospel was spread and it grew. It's told primarily through the life and work of two men, Peter and Paul, under the influence and direction of the Holy Spirit. It's about the life primarily of two men, Peter and Paul, led by the Holy Spirit. And it's an amazing story. At some point, Luke, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, said, man, I need to write about Jesus. I just do. And probably it's when Paul was in prison in 58 to 62. Paul was in prison half that time in Caesarea, which, you know, over in the promised land, half the time in Rome. And probably somewhere in there he said, I need to write. So he begins to do all this study. He begins to get all this information. Somebody gets to Mark. Mark had already written the gospel right about this time, and Mark now was close to Paul again, and they all knew each other. And, and Luke said, but Mark, can I borrow your book? Yeah, take it. Probably went to Matthew, did the same thing. Matthew had some insight, talked to Peter. You know, he had talked to Mary, talked to so many people, and he just began to write. And after he wrote all about Jesus, and he closes it out with his ascension, he thinks this isn't enough because more has happened. The Holy Spirit's done so much more. And so he began to write a second book. And he began to write. He overlapped just a little bit from chapter 24, but he began to write about what the Holy Spirit did. And he took two people primarily. He took a bunch and told their stories with two people. He took Peter and he took Paul. And he told it from their perspective. And you and I have the book of Acts. It's the story of the message the resurrected Jesus. It's the story of the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's one other thing. Acts is a story that still continues. It is a story that hasn't ended. You read the last part of Acts, it ends, Paul's in prison. And, and Luke's probably sitting there, you know, with Paul, because Paul's under house arrest. And he says, I wrote this, period, I got nothing left to write. And he puts the period, and he sends it off. But there's more to come. And so this leaves it almost like, where's the ending? The ending never ends. Because the Holy Spirit still works through the apostles, through what they wrote, through us, the church, to spread the gospel. It hasn't ended. The book of Acts informs us, yes. It instructs us, absolutely. But it motivates us, and it inspires us to follow the example of that early church. Of Peter, of Paul, of James, of John, of Barnabas, of Timothy, Stephen, of Philip, on and on and on. So let me share with you three things. 
that will help you as it begins. Know this, for us, getting people to Jesus means everything. Getting people to Jesus means everything. Why? Because Jesus changes their lives. You and I don't change people's lives. Jesus does. I mean, Peter did everything to get the gospel to people. He suffered. He, he was threatened numerous times with death. He told the people that put Jesus to death, he said, I can't do what you tell me. I have to obey God. And he shared the gospel. Paul was beaten. He was imprisoned. In fact, book of Acts ends. He's been in prison for four years. He gave up everything to get the gospel to people. Because Jesus' story means everything. I say this all the time. Get people to Jesus as fast as you can. That's what we do. We get people to Jesus as fast as we can and let Jesus take it from there. Do we minister to people? Yes. Do we do things to people? Yes. We do all of that stuff. I'm not saying we don't do that, but I'm saying primarily we get them to Jesus. Secondly, the story of Jesus focuses on the resurrection event. That's what they preached about. Peter, numerous times you crucified God, Jesus, God raised him from the dead. Three times they tell the story in Acts. Of, G, of Paul encountering the resurrected Jesus. Paul preaches the resurrected Jesus. That's what was the message. He's resurrected. They, listen, in the book of Acts, you know what, that, what they don't do? They don't spend much time trying to fix people's beliefs or behavior. They don't. They just share Jesus. We spend way too much time trying to fix their beliefs or behavior. We can't fix people's behavior. We can't fix their beliefs. We can't fix anything. We can minister to them. We can help them. We can love them. We can pray for them. We can be there. We can't fix them. Acts 17. Paul is in Athens, place of all the brilliant people go. He's in Mars Hill. I mean, he's preaching in front of this group of people, the most brilliant of the brilliant. I mean, they're the highest falutin thinking people around. Picture, picture going to Harvard. They're faculty. Take out all the Christians, both of them. Take them out. And then you got, you know, that was a good joke. You just missed it. Some of you just, oh, I just caught it. You're going to be at lunch like, oh, I caught that. <laughs> he's so witty and funny. Yes, I am. And Paul, he sees all these idols. And then he says one idol, to an unknown God. Does Paul look at all these brilliant people and say, let me tell you, you're wrong about all these idols. Those are false gods. Here's blah, 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 blah. He didn't say that. He just says, you have an unknown God. Let me tell you who it is. It's Jesus. And then he mentions the resurrection and the place blows up. The place blows up. And many of them are cheering and mocking him, but some are saved. And I know, and it's so in vogue among certain groups to say, well, Paul failed in Athens because he didn't start a church, blah, blah, blah. You go speak to the faculty at Harvard. It ain't going to happen. You know what it says? There were no believers. There were, no, there, there were literally no believers. And then it says, after he preached Jesus' resurrection, some believed. That doesn't sound like failure. Sounds like success. It's the story of the resurrected Jesus. So here's the third thing. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves and guides followers of Jesus to share the story of Jesus. That's what he does in our life. He moves us to share the story of Jesus. I don't come up with that on my own. He moves people into my life. He brings people into my world. And then he moves me to share. And here's the thing. That's what we do as a church. 
We share Jesus. Now, we'll minister and we'll be involved in different things. I, we'll do all that. We, we, we do stuff, but mostly we share Jesus. And here's what you need to know. I know you look and we got, we got multiple pastors. Now, Heather's not a pastor. Technically, she's a minister. You know, I don't want to get into all that. And, and they all have, you know, like pastors. Listen to me very carefully. At the end of the day, there was but one pastor, pastor. There was one guy who was the pastor. That is me. And I make this promise to you. As long as I am the pastor, our primary goal will always be, above all else, to share the story of Jesus. Why? Because I understand above all else, nothing else matters but the story of Jesus. So that's how I began this series, that no story, no story matters but the story of Jesus. And so I, I guess what I want you to do these next couple of months is join me on a journey as we look at the beginning of that story in the book of Acts. Now, I know you can't be here every week. I get that. But even when you're not here, because you've got vacation or plans, you can still watch online. And just I want you to commit to going through this journey with me. At the very least, read the first two chapters of Acts. You can do that. The average, normal, semi-intelligent person can read the first two chapters of Acts in 15 minutes. So if it like, takes you 16, you know, well, I don't know what to tell you, but you can read it. <laughs> Just read at. But there's a few questions I want to ask you. One is, is his story your story? Is the story of Jesus the story of your life? Of giving your life to the resurrected Christ to save you? And let him change everything about you when he chooses to do that. And then secondly, if it is your story, do you share that story with other people? Do you tell other people in your life the story of Jesus? It's a moment I'm going to be here. A few others will be here. And there'll be at least one lady here as well, because I know sometimes women prefer to pray or talk to other women. But if you want to give your life to Jesus, you can. If you want to pray with us about something, including people in your life, we can do that. If, if you want to join our church, you can. You, you come talk to one of us. But this is what I want to make sure that happens. I want you to walk out of this place today that the story of Jesus is in your life, that in your life it has begun. And Lord, we praise you and honor you above all else because even though we have sinned against you, in your amazing love, you sent Jesus Christ into this world. You died in our place and on our behalf, and you raised him back to life. And we know this because people like Luke wrote that story. And he wrote the story of a group of people not much different than us, whose lives were changed, who began to share the story of Jesus with the world around them. This is to be our life. This is to be our story. So, Father, I pray that that will happen today. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand? You come.